Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 146 of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Lynn. And I am Kayla Moria. <laughs> it is 146, but I, I got a like, little concerned there that maybe it wasn't, but it is. What y'all miss every single time we do this and like this uh, intro is that we always have to check our phones to every single what time. We're on. Every single time. I know it's one forty six though because I was really excited about the the beautifulness of the even number of one forty five. Yes, 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 yes. Which was last week. Yeah. Uh, my name is Brittany Lynn. This is a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. Yeah. All right. Uh, hi, Kayla. How are you? I am tired but i'm tired for a good reason oh i love that so last night was sunday uh-huh. and i went to mystic lake casino in the cities and i got to see kesha live no shit what yeah dude it was such a fucking party dude that would be awesome i went with uh our friends Corey and Susie and ashley and nick and we all just danced and danced and danced. Oh, I, won, I won $35 in a slot machine. Fuck yeah. That was like alien cows. Okay. Like I, the cows were aliens or aliens and cows? The cows were aliens, but they also were abducting cows from the ground. Oh. Slot machine logic is weird. Yeah. I yeah, used yeah, my yeah. mom's special little tricks she taught me when we were in Vegas, and I won 35 bucks in the night, so I immediately cashed out, and I'm like, all right. I'm happy. I, was I like, did I, it. Like I did I could, the thing. <laughs> I could buy a drink. Oh, wait. I got to drive home. So that's why I'm tired. After the Kesha show, I drove back home from Mystic Lake Casino, which is about a two and a half hour drive Ooh. because I had to work today. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, when you live in Duluth, a lot of people from the Twin Cities don't know this, but a lot of Duluthians, we do down and backs for shows. Oh, yeah. You got to. You got to. You can't. You can't afford to take a vacation day no, you really for every can't. single show you want to no, go to. No, so you have to drive down and then drive back after. You have to like have a couple of beverages right at the beginning and then you have to completely stop, drink yep. nothing but water, maybe eat, maybe if you have time. Yep. And then drive right back so you can get go to 2 work. hours of sleep maybe and then go, go to, to work. Yep. <laughs> and you have to fight that post show adrenaline. Yeah. Like to get yourself to sleep afterwards. Usually by the time I'm all the way back up to Duluth, I'm like, I'm so fucking tired. But then I don't sleep very well. It takes me forever to fall asleep. So, yeah. Uh, Kesha, if anybody has a chance to see Kesha live, highly recommend. A fucking beautiful show. I can only imagine. Uh, and I bet Susie just, I, once you said Susie was there, I'm like, of course she was. Yep. And was. we danced. We had a good time. We Oh, geez. She's just so talented. I like Kesha a lot. Yeah. She's a lot like a, a, a... There are so many female artists that get such a bad rap, just really belittled Yep, when they first start out. But Kesha, like Taylor Swift and Britney Spears, yep. like once you get to see their actual personality, you're like, damn. And it's not even damn. that. I think it's just being in our mid-30s now. Like, you get over the whole, oh, oh my God. I dislike this artist because they're popular. Yeah. Like, I'll admit when I don't like a musician because they're not for me. Right. But I'm no longer, like, we had a whole conversation about, like, guilty pleasure music. Like, what's your guilty pleasure? I'm like, I'd have to feel guilty about something. And 
There's very few mus- like musicians that I listen to that I feel guilty about anymore. I'm just like, oh, have you heard Garth Brooks? Oh, have you listened to Dolly Parton? Oh, have you listened to Kesha or Britney Spears? Like, I don't care. I'm an emo kid that, air quote, kid, that also just loves the I will, fuck out of pop music. I will always be an emo kid. It doesn't matter how old I am. Yep. But I love the fuck out of some pop music. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm really sore. Did you uh, and Steve get the heat tape up? No. <laughs> what? <laughs> no. Um, no. The So downstairs, ever since we moved in, it's like the tiles had this weird film on them. Mm-hmm. And mopping, scrubbing didn't work. And then I finally took a... Took a page out of the TikTok book and I got some pink stuff oh, and nice. a scrub daddy. Nice. And honestly, I spent literal hours scrubbing that. But why it took so long is because I'm old now. And so I'd <laughs> scrub and scrub and scrub and then I'd be like, oh, I'm sore. I have to lay down. And then I'd go back to it and scrub and scrub. It was it was an all weekend thing, but I'm glad it's done. Um, during my break of scrubbing though i got to watch all of the fall of the house of usher i have not watched that uh i heard good things i gotta say i'm a little obsessed now if you follow me on twitter you have seen this but like (laughs) netflix horror shows are doing this sort of like mc like universe marvel comic book universe type thing yeah so the haunting of hill house the haunting of bly manor midnight mass the fall of the house of usher and midnight club all of them have like these characters or actors that like meld together, which I know is kind of a horror genre thing. Yeah. Is that a lot of actors stay within that genre. Mm-hmm. But man, the Netflix horror movie universe, I am really digging it. I was disappointed with The Haunting of Hill House. So I never watched The Haunting of Bly Manor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Midnight Mass got a lot of sexy actors in that one. <laughs> Yeah. And then I haven't watched anything else. <laughs> uh, several people from Midnight Mass and The Haunting of Hill House are in okay. The Fall of the House of Usher. Very You're going to be cool. like, I recognize all these people. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but uh, we should probably crack into it, and we should do that with a joke. Yes, indeed. Okay. All right. All right. This is relevant. What does Dracula like to watch on TV? I don't know. Netflix. (laughs) That is relevant. (laughs) What does it cost to keep a zombie well fed? I have no idea. It costs an arm and a leg. Oh, shit. (laughs) That one was funny. (laughs) I like that one a lot. I'm going to reuse that one. That, this may be the first of the jokes out of this that I'm like, oh, I, I I'm actually use that. like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So, speaking of Kesha. <laughs> okay. Um, Kesha has a show called Conjuring Kesha. Oh my God. Yes. I, I that, need that is, to see this. <laughs> that is on Max. I did not know it was on Max. I don't have that. So, and so I'm going to watch that. Can we watch it together? When will we have time? I will work around your schedule, (laughs) Kayla. (laughs) 
and see if there are any locations that we have not already covered. Because okay. I know for sure she does the Translegany Lunatic Asylum, uh-huh. and we've covered that, obviously, in the past. Right. But I am now a big fan of celebrity ghost hunting shows. Yeah. Just recently, like, that has become a big thing for me. Yeah. And, and Kristen Stewart has a celebrity ghost hunting show mm-hmm. as well. Yep. And I want to I wanna watch it. And so this next one was inspired by, or my location this week was inspired by a, another celebrity ghost hunting show, which we'll get to a little bit later in the story. Okay. We are Midwesting it again this week with a, an mm-hmm. Illinois location. You know I love to stay close. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And today I'm going to be telling you about Ashmore Estates. Well, it definitely sounds fancy. Have you heard of it like in general before? No. Because I cannot believe, like now reading into it, I can't believe we missed this when we used to do only Midwest locations. Well, I'm excited to hear about it. Okay. Tell me. Tell me about the estates. So Ash, (laughs) maybe it's just the estates that makes us think it's fancy. Like back when we did Whisper Estates. (laughs) Remember when you picked topics just because they had funny names? Yes. I should do that again. That's still fun. (laughs) Does the name include Lick? We want to include it. (laughs) I think you had two different Lick locations. (laughs) Squirrel Cage Jail. All right. Just calling it back to all the really old episodes. So... Ashmore Estates is located in Ashmore, Illinois. Ashmore is a village. It's uh, during the 2020 census, their population was a whopping 636 people. Okay, so it goes city, working downward, town, village? I think it's, I and I could be wrong. I think it's city, town, township, oh. village, and then unincorporated which is like when it's so small, it, you lose your like township. Oh wow! But Although it would be, be nice to be to live in a village. How very British sounding! I know that there are tons of spaces like between here and like Eau Claire that are unincorporated. Like yeah, people I live know a there, lot of but... unincorporated, but so, um, so I wouldn't be surprised if you hadn't heard of it because it is so small. It's not near any of the, like, major cities. So to try and give you a general idea of where it is, it's near the Indiana border on the east side of the state. If you keep driving south of Chicago, it would take you, like, three hours to get there. And then once you got there, if you head east, it's about two hours to Indianapolis. So right in that area. Okay. Okay. Probably not known for much except for one thing which is the Ashmore Estates. The building itself looks a little out of place, standing amongst the farm fields of southern Illinois. It's a lot like Wisconsin, if you're familiar with that. Corn, corn, and more corn. Lots of corn. Fancy. It is a brick structure with kind of like, just looking at it, you can tell it's abandoned. It has a sense of hollowness to it. Though it's just a few stories tall, this old building looms intimidating over the sprawls of the, you know, corn that goes everywhere in every direction though the signage out front welcomes you to ashmore estates it hardly looks like what you would picture when you hear the word estates like you think fancy you think pretty it's not oh 
But but it does lord over the corn. It does so lord over the corn. there's that. Like, you half expect some small children to start talking about he who walks behind the rows when you're hanging out there. Mm, <laughs> Long before the building was known by that name, it was known as the Coles County Poor Farm. Oh, that is definitely not fancy. <laughs> yep. As we've discussed before, poor farms were... The institution used by rural counties to house and, I use the, the word here loosely, support <laughs> the rural poor and other groups of uh, people in the area dependent on public help. For much of the 19th and early 20th century, primary responsibility was handled by local county government. In 1870, the county purchased 260 acres from A.N. Graham in a section of Ashmore Township for a new farm, which this was a relocation from their previous facility in the Charlton Township. They constructed a small timber and brick building, the first to sit on that property, and it was about the size of a modern single-family home. 38 feet by 58 feet and two stories tall with an attached kitchen. That's all it was. It's like a small little home. Okay, how many people live there? Well, eventually they added on some more buildings, like small ones, onto the property. Uh-huh. It served well enough for the first few years, but as we've discussed time and time again, uh, when it comes to building like this and with being managed by the local, like county government, mm-hmm. it How wasn't maintained go? very well, oh, and it was mm. it was continued to be used well past probably what you would have considered its useful life. I am so surprised. The farm was home to many residents, or inmates, as they called them. They did not Wait, mean it in, like, what? a jail way. That's not cool, y'all. We, we've talked this about this before. I think a lot of poor, like, poor houses and poor farms called them inmates. You know, yeah, I also don't like the fact that they're called poor farms. True, so, very true. You know. About 250 residents passed through the farm in its first nine years, and of those, about 32 passed away on the property. The dead were buried in a county cemetery on the north end of the property, but eventually a pauper cemetery was established. This new burial site contains between 60 to 100 persons. Yep, we got a whole like 40 person area for nobody knows. The documentation is I was going to say there. the variance is is quite quite a lot. That's like an almost 50%. Lives. That's like an almost 50% variance. Wow. Oh Jesus. It is unknown if all the graves are occupied by inmates from the Ashmore Estates or from other places like the hospital if somebody passed away but they didn't have a place to be put. If nobody claimed them. I mean, you gotta hope. Otherwise, where are all these people coming from? The Board of State Commissioners of Public Charities visited the poor farm in 1902. So, 32 years after it started up. And... For the condition of the farm, they wrote, There is no special provision for the insane. None are locked up or in restraint. So they pointed out that kind of what we've talked about with a lot of these different facilities in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they weren't keeping people who were violent separate from the people who were there just because they were poor and did not have any place else to go. Everybody just lived together. Another nine years later, by 1911, the Auxiliary Committee of the State Board of Charities condemned the ass. They condemned, condemned their the ass. ass. <laughs> no. 
Fuck them. <laughs> Condemned the almshouse. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they condemned this almshouse for its vermin-infested walls, rough floors, small windows, and improper ventilation. It was also reported that flies swarmed everywhere and were especially noticeable on the poorly prepared food for dinner. In January of 1915, the Almshouse Committee received bids for construction of a new fireproof building on this location. The building contract for the new house was granted to J.W. Montgomery in March for $20,389, which in today's money would be $575,735. So that's still not a lot of money when it comes to trying to prepare a facility to house people, many people. Yeah, no, no. Especially considering how many people. Yep. Uh, The cornerstone was laid on May 17th of 1916. A full-time caretaker and his family took turns living in the house and... Like swapping between that and a white farmhouse that they also built on the property for the caretaker just to live in. Okay. The new building was a lot more comfortable for the residents. We'll give them that. It provided them with warm places to sleep, which previously was very drafty and not very well taken care of. They had hot meals that were prepared in a clean facility and... The work around the farm was there for those who could manage it, but it sounds like they did not force those who weren't really fully capable to work. Oh, that's good. They did one sort of okay thing. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Additionally, the new facility allowed for some management of the more violent people who lived in the area, so keeping them separate from those who were there for various other reasons. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Despite the new facility, the era of poor farms and almshouses was nearing an end. And new initiatives were created to address poverty. Uh, Social security was eventually established. Um, They got funds to help those who were too old to keep working and avoid the poor house. So a lot of the people that would end up in these houses were the elderly who could no longer afford their homes anymore or didn't have a place to go. Right, but with the implementation of Social Security, they would have money to not be there. Fun fact that I had never thought of before, according to Haunted U.S., women's rights were also being expanded in these decades, Mm -hmm. and many residents at poor farms were widowed mothers of young children. Mm -hmm. They were unable to work due to societal pressures and not having an option for childcare to keep track of their children. So they when we also hear, couldn't have bank accounts or yep. own land. Yep. And so one thing we always find it weird when we're like, why were there so many children here? It's because a lot of times it was widowed mothers that would end up here and they brought their children with them. Or if they wanted to work, they had to place their children in these facilities because they had no money for child care. Yep. So part of the closing down of poor farms and almshouses was that women earned more rights to work independently and provide for their children through their own labor rather than relying on a man. Oh, good. Not saying that they were in a good place, but it was better than it was. Definitely better than it was. So by the 1950s, due to these safety nets and like a lot of this came into place, I guess, after the Great Depression, The population of the Coles County Poor Farm had been rendered slim. The facility was sold off to Ashmore Estates. 
which this was in February of 1959, and they were a company that wanted to turn it into a psychiatric hospital. Of course they so did. So privately yeah. owned psychiatric hospital. Yeah. The conversion to mental health care was swift. Uh, the first version of the Ashmore Estates didn't last long, though. In 1964, after just five years in operation, the facility closed due to debts. It reopened in the same capacity the following year, this time accepting overflow patients from state institutions rather than just being completely privately owned uh, because the like state-owned institutions were well beyond capacity, as we've discussed many times. Yeah, and they could get funding from the state for taking those folks on. Yep. Paul Swinford and Galen Martini purchased the institution in July of 1976. Swinford and Martini invested over 200000 in the construction of a modern addition to the old building. Construction began in 1977, but was not finished until the 80s. And then once the addition of Ashmore Estates had been completed and the rest of the building was brought up to code, it looked like things were picking up. Things were going to go better. In February of 1986, Paul Swinford entered into a limited partnership with a Pura-based company known as Convalescent Management Associates Incorporated Mm. to help manage the institution's finances. Okay. The departments of public aid and public health dragged their feet over the issuance of proper licenses and, you know, all the certifications they needed for over a year leading Swinford to file for permission from the Illinois Health Facility Planning Board to close the facility. So they just spent all this money. They got somebody hired to, like, manage all of their finances. finances, And then they had to close because they couldn't get the licenses and certifications they needed in time. Ugh, the red tape, man. At that time, Ashmore Estates' financial losses exceeded $1.5 million. In today's money or in that money? In that money. Oh, I didn't shit. even look up the today's money. <laughs> okay. By the end of that April, all the residents had been transferred to area homes and Ashmore Estates closed its door. And that was the last time there was anything there? The last time there was any medical facilities there. Okay. In 1998, after sitting empty for over 10 years, a resident of Sullivan named Arthur Colclasher paid $12,500 for the property. Okay. That's quite the jump down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, yep, yep. He started to begin renovating. Uh, the Kellys offered flashlight tours of the interior to fund the renovations. Because Was by it this, just a historical tour type thing? Well, or? I'm going to guess they were trying to go spoopy because it okay. was the 90s and flashlight tours. I don't know why it would be historical that way. Right. In 1998, a resident of Sullivan named Arthur Colclasier paid $12,500 for the property. <laughs> so, fight the jump down. Uh, yeah, I mean, he got a he got a lot of renovations done a decade before though. So, yep, the previous owners did some stuff, but $12,000. Oh jeez. I could afford that. He announced that he planned to renovate the building and turn it into his home. However, continuous vandalism prevented him from ever realizing his plans. So Ugh. he put it on the market. In August of 2006, Scott Kelly purchased Ashmore Estates from Arthur and began his renovations. To finance the project, the Kellys ordered flashlight tours of the interior. Okay. Um, they were discouraging trespassers by having signs up and, you know, living on the property itself. 
Uh, they the flashlight tours, I guess, were pretty successful. Um, and they had a haunted house that opened in October thirteenth of two thousand six. In the off season, Scott offered overnight stays in the building as well. Okay, so it was definitely the the spooky vibes, was, not really the historical ones. Oh yeah, it was totally the spooky vibes. Unless they were really smart and they're like, "Vandals come at night. Let's do all our tours at night, and then they <laughs> won't have the opportunity." That is a good idea, honestly. That's that's how you keep people away. Other people, people that paid for the tours, they're like, "Get the fuck away! I I paid for this. I you don't to get to pay be here. for this. You don't get to be here for free. That's bullshit." <laughs> In January of 2013, Ashmore Estates was hit by a wicked storm, wind speeds reaching 80 to 100 miles per hour. That took heavy damage. Its roof was blown off. Uh, support beams were destroyed. Shortly thereafter, new owners took over the property because the Kellys were like, well, I'll never financially recover from this, so peace. Yeah, yeah the, the flashlight tours are not going to cover this. On May 3rd of 2014... It became under the ownership of Robin and Norma Terry, who own it now. During their first few weeks of ownership, there were they they like they took it very seriously. They immediately started doing the cleanup. According to their website, their time owning the property, like it's been about a little less than ten years. Mm-hmm. They've seen huge improvements that have been made. The Terrys put considerable effort into restoring the building, putting on a new roof, bathrooms, shower, kitchens, and more. And now the building stands preserved as a historical building and a location for paranormal investigation. That's awesome. Is it on the Register of Historical Places? It says it's preserved as a historical building, but I did not see anything about it actually being on the register. So maybe that's something they're aiming for. Or maybe it's like a local. A local thing. Ordinance. Yeah, I could see that. Historic building. So paranormal investigations are... Huge here. That's their bread and butter. They mm-hmm. know what they they know what they got, and they're rolling with it. Love it, love it. So, who are some of Ashmore Estate's most established and well known ghosts? A ghost that is frequently encountered by Ashmore visitors is thought to be that of Joe Bloxham. So many people died at the farm in mm-hmm. its operations as a facility that Ashmore had its own cemetery, as we've discussed. But Joe Bloxham is the resident most visitors have come to know. According to legend, Bloxham was walking back to the poor farm from the train tracks on a day of labor when he was struck by a train. Oh, no. But apparently Joe was like hardcore because he- He survived? He survived that and managed to continue to make it back to the property. Oh, I bet he looked really fucked up, though. He limped all the way back to the poor farm before collapsing and dying of his injuries on the property. Oh. Now, his tall apparition is often spotted inside and outside of the building, sometimes appearing clear enough to be identified as Joe simply by his facial features. So he'll appear as a full apparition. Oh. Another well-known entity around the building is said to stem from its time as an almshouse. The tale tells of a little girl, Elva, who lived at the poor house with her mother in 1880. Unfortunately, one day a spark from a stove heater caught her dress on fire and she sustained lots of burns and died from those injuries. No, that sucks. Now it is said that visitors to Ashmore Estates can look forward to Elva holding their hands or tugging on their shirts to get their attention. Okay, but that's cute. 
She seems to be doing okay in her afterlife. That's good. Not every spirit uh, at Ashmore has a name. As we, I mean, like when you know who the resident is and how they died. Yeah. And you can put a name to them. But there are people that are frequent enough to be identified, but never actually be identified. Oh, yeah. 50 to 100 people died there. One spirit is on the lower floor and is said to be particularly aggressive. Hangs out in the boiler room. Shoves people when they linger too long. Why are they always in the boiler room? Those who encounter this ornery spirit believe he may be an old boiler room worker, annoyed by people interrupting his work and crowding the already small room. Others have identified this as Joe. Okay. Like, this is where they cross over. Some people think this is a separate entity, and some people think this is Joe. Joe, the guy that got hit by the train. Yep. Yep, exactly. He is apparently very aggressive towards women. Fun. Love that. Love that. that. Upstairs in one particular room near the front of the building, reportedly the spirits of two good-natured former patients hang out in here and visitors are recommended to read to them to try to get them to manifest themselves. Aww. Many have reported odd sounds, disembodied voices, and EMF spikes in the room once they begin reading to the girls. I really want to come across a ghost or like a couple of like lady ghosts who the way to like summon them to you is just to say hot gossip and then they'll be like, oh my God, yeah. And they just appear and they're like, tell me more about what did she say? (gasps) She did not. You could find out like if they like certain genres. Yeah. Like, Like are these like the mystery ladies or are they like smut sluts? Like what, like could you read different? types of genres of books and get different reactions. Yeah, biographies are like, ugh, I'm not even going to try and manifest <laughs> myself for that. Who cares about Abraham Lincoln? Ugh. Oh, uh, I just saw a TikTok and I did not know this. Did you know that Abraham Lincoln was gay? Bisexual. Bisexual? I apparently, believe- apparently there are letters that they have of him writing, like straight up saying that he misses this other gentleman in a romantic fashion. I I should do more research, but I just... vaguely recall that. I do think that he did, in fact, love his wife in a romantic way. So I do believe he was bisexual. Well, either way, I just learned this last night. Yep. So I got to look more into that. It's interesting. No, Kayla, they weren't lovers. They were roommates. (laughs) They were roommates. They were companions. History hates lovers. (laughs) Sorry, side tangent. (laughs) So beyond these reports of these specific ghosts, strange things have been encountered all throughout the property. From disembodied voices, EVPs, strange like figures in photographs that aren't full apparitions, but something's off and they don't have an explanation for it. Okay. Shadow figures, odd smells, and shifting furniture. Almost everyone who has come to visit Ashmore Estates has left with some sort of story to share. I love that when it's not sort of pick and choose with your audience. They're like, oh, everyone leaves with something. It's been on a few paranormal investigation shows, one of them being the show that shall not be named. I think it was also on Destination Fear. But my favorite and the one that inspired me to do this story is its appearance on Jack Osborne's Night of Terror. Okay, that's awesome. (laughs) 
So Jack Osborne, I guess, has had a couple of paranormal investigation shows. He's I big into this now. This, yeah. Yep. Uh, this one, he goes to a location and brings guest stars with him. So he's had his sister Kelly and a couple of them. Mm-hmm. On this series, Ozzy has never gone like to it, but Ozzy has suggested locations. He took his mom to one. I and can't even imagine Ozzy in a haunted house. <laughs> he just be, he doesn't believe in the stuff. He'll suggest stuff to his son because he knows he does. But I, from what yeah. I can gather, he does not believe in the paranormal. I just, the mumbling that would happen and just the nonsense <laughs> that would come out of his mouth. You mean captions for everything. <laughs> exactly. Um, there was a lot of activity on the night that Jack visited Ashmore States with Jason Muse and Jamie Kennedy. Wait, are they from Ghost Hunters? No. Jason Muse is Jay from Jay and Silent Bob. <laughs> and Jamie Kennedy is a really famous, like, comedic actor. Why? Because they're his friends. Oh, because it's Jay and Jason are from Ghost Hunters. Oh, I didn't even think about that. So I'm like, I don't know what their last names are. <laughs> <laughs> so Jason Muse and Jamie Kennedy in tow. Uh... And it's funny because Jason Muse totally wants to believe. Mm-hmm. He is the uh, he's the Ryan Bergara, uh, yeah. whereas Jamie Kennedy is a heckin' skeptic. Like he's he's a Shane Madey. Yeah, he doesn't yeah, buy yeah. into it all. But he was definitely less skeptical by the end of this episode. <laughs> I love that. I don't want to give away the whole episode because it's definitely worth the watch if you have Travel Channel or Max. Mm-hmm. Watch the whole series. But here are some highlights. First of all, Jack always, uh, at least in this show, brings a medium or an otherwise sensitive person to the locations, and they call it a psychic sweep. So what he does is he brings them in, drives them into the town, but he doesn't tell them which town they're coming into or what location they're coming into. So they're on this drive blindfolded. Okay. And they start the whole thing blindfolded. Yeah, what what are their vibes as they're driving? Like, are we going to go over here? Or Yep. He just asks for their general psychic impressions of the area. Okay. This episode, he brought in Michelle Bellinger. Bellinger or Bellinger? I don't know what that pronunciation is. But Michelle. He'd worked with uh, her in a few other episodes. She's good. Mm-hmm. I like her. And... In the interview, Jamie's all like, yeah, I've seen psychics on a boardwalk for $5. So, like, not buying into Low it at all. blow, bro. Yeah. He was not ready to be impressed. And Michelle gets out of the car, introduces herself. She's blindfolded. And she's, like, shaking these guys' hands with, like, not really knowing. I mean, I'm sure she knows who they are, but she's not meeting them. She just can't see anything. Right. And then she's immediately like, so... First, my attention is immediately pulled to the land. There's a thread of something. And so they, they're like, they talk about it a little bit, and then they head inside. And she's like, I keep getting flashes of hard labor. It's resented labor. It reminds me of a poorhouse, which they have not said anything about. Okay. Like, just like that, boom, Jamie Kennedy's eyes go wide because they right. had not said anything about it. And then she says again, but I keep getting pulled to the land, to some space in the back of the property. It feels like unmarked graves. And there was no great fuss or interest in doing anything for them beyond getting them into the ground. In my mind's eye, there's a tree past it. 
Mm-hmm. And she was right. Because she keeps getting pulled back to the land. And we talked about how they had a cemetery, but then they eventually also did a pauper's cemetery. Right. And they know they don't know how many bodies or where even the bodies are in the right, land. Because it's, it's so unmarked. Unmarked and it's so old, it's just one big field. So they brought in cadaver dogs. And sure enough, the cadaver dogs identified where bodies were on the property in the back, and they were particularly drawn to this big old tree. And it's like one tree in the middle of all this field. And not even, I guess, the owners knew where the body was buried. So now they at least have, I guess when you hire cadaver dogs, Uh they tell the police that they're doing an investigation and whatever they find, they have to report to the police. Yes. And the owners consented to this. Right. So, because they wanted to know right. what the heck's going on with their property. Uh-huh. So, yeah, they do They do it in, like, a way of using multiple dogs and not all at the same time so that they don't think they're getting a false reading. So, like, different dogs have different tells so that you mm-hmm. also can't confuse them. So, like, one dog's tell is barking. One dog's tell is sitting. Like, and that's how the they identify. Down. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, all three dogs identified the same spots. So another thing that got them, aside from the cadaver dogs and this medium being totally right, is the sheer abundance of paranormal activity in the form of knocking. So Jamie was freaked out by the spirit box they were using. Jack and Jason weren't really because they've done this before and... right. Like, whatever. They said uh, several times there were names given. Um, Jay and Joe were both said quite a bit Mm -hmm. through the spirit box. But it's all part of paranormal investigation, and I don't think anybody's super swayed by spirit boxes a lot of the time because so much of it can be... Accidental. Accidental or falsely interpreted. But the one thing that got everyone freaked out were knocks. When they were in a dining hall, they were sitting, trying to communicate with any presences in the building, and they began to hear a knocking after Jason said, we just need a sign that you're here. Make some noise. And it made some noise. And they're sitting in this dining hall, and there's this, like, separate room that they're, that's next to it that's through open window spots, Uh but they're not in it. And through there, they just hear, or, like, and at some point, Jason goes, do that again. And they pause for a while, and then it's. And it just keeps happening. So Jack goes to investigate that room, and he just steps in. He's like, comes right back out. He's like, I don't like the vibes in there. I don't like that at all. And then Jason Muse just keeps saying, do it again. And then eventually you'll hear a. And at some point, I can't remember if it was Jack or Jamie or a crew member that was just like, They've done it. You don't need to keep Stop. telling them. It's, it's annoying. <laughs> Not even that it's We're annoying. We're annoyed. Like, we're freaked out. Stop telling them to do it again. <laughs> they also had tons of just weird vibes in general. Strange feelings. Jason Muse kept feeling faint. It's totally a good episode. Everybody should watch it. If you get annoyed when you're watching paranormal investigation shows and nothing's happening... This is not that episode. This is an episode that will get you freaked out and into it. I love that. Uh, When Destination Fear visited the property, they also had a lot of activity present. The thing that seemed to catch people the most was a disembodied voice whistling. Uh, In the episode, there was this, like, also strange formation of a mist. And at one point, 
there was a very obvious whistle that came from behind. Mm -hmm. So almost like a, hey, pay attention to me kind of whistle. It was not, it was not the sound of whistling coming through like cracks in the foundation or something. It was a, like a pay attention to the whistle. One Redditor was commenting on the Destination Fear episode when they had their own experience to share. Okay. Tech Medic 5 said, I've been to this location several times, but not as an investigator. I install and support the Wi-Fi network on the property. When I watched the preview of the Destination Fear episode, I thought the first whistle sounded like wind being pushed through the building, which I've heard before. But the remaining whistles have a lot of tone to them. And all of the doors that are left are heavy metal doors and not easily moved. Mm. Also, I'll give you my experience from the last time I was there. I was resetting the APs. Whatever the hell that means. (laughs) I was resetting the APs after the controller malfunctioned. Still have no idea what happened, by the way. And lost a part on the second floor. I ran around looking for the part when I finally found it. I yelled down to the owner and a longtime friend that I had found the piece, and then I received an answer of, all right. But it came from the second floor, and it didn't sound like him. So I headed downstairs to find him walking back into the building, which answered my question. I was alone in the building, and he was searching the RV for a replacement part. Okay. He does not know who said all right. Things that seem like they're mimicking living people is probably one of my least mm-hmm. favorites. It might be worse than when ghosts touch you. Yep. I, I don't like that. It's like trying to trick you. I don't. I don't like that. Tech Medic 5 said, other than that, I've been all over the building during the day and felt pretty positive about the location, except the third floor stairwell closest to the nurse's station which just gave me a feeling of being watched slash needing to leave the area. This is where they captured the video and close to the mist photo. So the photo, mist photo of Destination Fear. He's saying that same stairwell. He oh, got he's freaked like, out. Just, he's like, I also don't like that stairwell. And you can't, for him, you can't blame it on being like, ooh, it's creepy, it's nighttime. He goes during the day to work on the Wi-Fi stuff. Right, and he's been there multiple times. Yep. Lastly, I've never investigated a location and haven't really been involved in the paranormal world, but I know the owner from our past careers in EMS. So he was saying that, like, I'm not telling you this as somebody who's stoked on the paranormal. I'm telling you this because I've worked on this location and it keeps me interested. Right. I know the owner. Yep. I'm the one he calls. Yep. So I thought that was pretty interesting. That is pretty interesting. I got a couple other small uh, people sharing their experiences there. Okay. In April of 2019, a user named Jess posted on hauntedplaces.org. A group of friends and I went for an overnight tour in 2018, and it's absolutely a very active place. I have read and read about it, but it did no justice to what we were going to experience on this adventure. On the third floor, it seemed like we were constantly hearing footsteps behind us even though knowing only three of us were staying up there. Also, we were sitting in different rooms on the second floor, just listening to a voice box, and it repeatedly kept saying, my room and boots. (laughs) Later, realizing a man had 
lived in the room I had been sitting in, and I was the only person in the building wearing boots. Hey, boots, get out of my room. Hey, boots, get out. The boiler room was also a very active place. Many, many experiences happened during our visit, but I won't spoil it for you. But if you ever get the chance to visit yourself, it is hands down amazing. If you're in for the experience of a lifetime and have that kind of appreciation for history, it's a must. I'm definitely planning on visiting again. Also, the family who now owns it is knowledgeable on the history and have quite a few experiences to share themselves. Enjoy. Another user named Gavin Kelly posted back in 2014, which it sounds like they are a film person, which um, the owners did say they've been used for movies, like kind of like no plumbing has been. Right. We were filming on location at Ashmore Estates and we encountered numerous things. We heard a voice come out of thin air to answer my question. I had asked, are we the only ones here? And we heard a woman's voice answer, nope. Then we (laughs) snapped a picture of me walking down the hall and there was a black mass pouring out of the doorway. If you look closely, you can see eyes within the mass. Definitely haunted. So that goes along with the shadow figures reported. Yeah, I don't like that. And then on hauntedhouses.com, a user posted, day or night, she will speak to you. Oh. Have seen shadows, felt very cold spots when it was hot out, heard voices, heard my name called. Oh. Mm -mm. Been knocked across the room on my ass. Had a board come off a window and flew across the room. Getting knocked on my ass was my fault. I should have given the spirit its space. They do have feelings just like this. It's a great place. Just respect the spirits. It's their home. Which I kind of like. The I person mean, it, it's obviously. A good, it's a good takeaway message for sure. Yeah. The person wasn't very uh like verbose, but right. <laughs> they got the point across. And that is the story of Ashmore Estates in Ashmore, Illinois. It's not nearly as fancy as I, I went into this story <laughs> thinking. Estates is a bold word for that. It is such a bold word. <laughs> so, Brittany. Uh-huh. On our skeptic scale of para to normal, para being five, normal being one, what would you give Ashmore Estates? I'm going to give it a 4.25. I'm going five. All right. But I have the advantage of having watched the episodes. Oh, yeah. I didn't watch the episodes. So after what, I think that if you watched it, I I think you would shift to a five. I think you would. But I I respect that with the details I was able to give you, I understand your rating 100%. Okay. Okay. Uh, Well, you know, if you ever totally don't share your password, uh, maybe I'll watch it someday. (laughs) Totally don't do that. That They don't like it when you do that. Password sharing is wrong, people. You wouldn't download a car. You wouldn't download a cat. (laughs) That was from our podcast, right? The wouldn't download a cat? Yeah. Yes. Okay. You wouldn't download a car. I think that came from us making fun of that really old, like, piracy is theft. Yeah. Yeah. Piracy is illegal. You're stealing. Piracy is not a victimless crime. So, Brittany, what do you got for me this week? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a, like sneaky. <laughs> Basically. Oh, no. My beverage smeared my ink. <laughs> okay, well, anyway. Don't. Um, you know, you're, you don't drink and drive, but also don't drink and hold printed paper, apparently. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, not, not if there's condensation. Condensation, it'll kill you. 
<laughs> uh, tonight, I'm going to tell you about the Oxford Saloon in Snohomish, Washington. Okay. Mm-hmm. Snohomish. Is this... Is this- it's not our first Washington location, but we haven't been there a lot. No, and that's why I went there. Um, I do have a story that has been on my list for forever, and my sister was like, you have to do this one. But I, it's going to take a little bit more like intensive research, and I just didn't have time. So, Oh, no, that makes sense. All right. So in Snohomish, which is a small city just a couple of miles north of Seattle, there stands a building known as the Oxford Saloon which is apparently the best place in town to grab a drink and a burger. It's described as family-friendly by day and having a lively entertainment by night. Sounds like my kind of place. And also, it's said to be one of the most haunted places in Washington State. Still sounds like my kind of place. (laughs) The building originally opened as the Blackman Dry Goods Store, and it opened in 1890. It was owned and operated by Arthur Blackman, a grocer from a long line of grocers. He had moved west from his home in Maine, arriving in Snohomish in 1885, where he soon became a staple in the community. Oh, yeah. He owned a grocery store that he boasted sold over 20,000 different items. For a while, he was the town's postmaster. And he was even elected to the Snohomish City Council in 1915. So you might say he was kind of a big deal. He was kind of a big deal. He was a man of the people. A man about town. For sure. A well-respected man about town. Uh, I don't know the rest of the words. I don't know any of the words. It was on the Juno soundtrack. That's the only reason I know it. Oh, I kind of thought maybe that's what you were yep. going on about, but you said them so wrong. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I really only have heard it on the Juno soundtrack, so. Sorry. That was rude. <laughs> it's not wrong. It's, it's... Rude, not wrong. <laughs> uh, prior to being elected to the city council, though, Arthur had decided that it was time to move on from his black men dry goods store. And he sold the business in 1909. So a year later, it reopened as the Oxford Saloon. And it's actually been a couple of different things because obviously this is like 1910. Yep. But it maintains the name. Yeah. Oxford is always part of it. I think it maybe got changed to some other Oxford things, but now it's back to being the Oxford Saloon with great burgers and drinks. Well, and I thought... That would be weird if it went from like, oh, yeah, we're a grocery store that sells over 20,000 things, and now we're a bar. No, that's what happened. Really? Yeah. Seems like such a weird shift. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so this three, so it's it's 1910 now, and this three-level establishment had a little something for everyone. The basement was used for gambling and card games. The main floor was a saloon for fun times and drinking, and the second floor was- Sex workers. Well, it was converted into boarding rooms, a.k.a. a high-class bordello, ran by a woman (laughs) named Madam Kathleen. (laughs) We've told too many of these stories. (laughs) It is a literal tale as old as time. So over the years, the Oxford Saloon became known not just for its good time vibes, but also as a place of crime. Crime. Your favorite. It doesn't pay. 
Uh, uh, I mean, I, I think that they it might. Well, or why would they do it here? The the crime was more violent. Oh, so it was common at the saloon for like bar fights and stabbings and shootings, allegedly like on the daily. Okay, okay. So that area of town you just avoid. Yeah, except for apparently it was like the most popular place. So <laughs> it was really just a gamble in many ways. Come on down to the Oxford Saloon. You might get shot, but hey, it's fun. Uh, The rumors surrounding the saloon claim that there were at least 10 deaths that happened within its walls. So although the Oxford attempted to tamper down the bad behavior by hiring bouncers, it wasn't always very successful because crime, they just just wanted to stab some people. (laughs) (laughs) Because crime. Because of crime. (laughs) Uh, Such as in the story of Henry. So Henry was a local police officer who liked drinking. He needed extra cash, and he decided that he might as well moonlight as a bouncer at one of his favorite watering holes, the Oxford, allegedly. I guess it's unconfirmed if he got paid to be a bouncer or if he was just always there performing bouncer-like duties. He was like the local who just takes it upon themselves. Or he was, like the, he was like the regular that just takes it upon himself to, you know, the troublemakers out of there. Yeah, he's like, he's like Heiko. Yeah, or Beckman. Or Beckman. Like, yep, yep. People who are bouncers, but also are like, I'm not a bouncer here, but you got to get out of here, man. Get the fuck out. Now, normally he had no issues when the clientele got rowdy. I mean, he's a police officer. He deals with that during his day job. Mm-hmm. But one night, a fight broke out on the staircase that led down to the basement where the gambling and the card games were. And while attempting to break up the rowdy bunch... Henry found himself stabbed multiple times. And then he fell down the stairs, which is where he died. Wow. Yeah. Uh, And word on the haunted streets, this is also where he remains. Henry is often seen on the staircase where he died, as if contemplating what went wrong that night (laughs) or reminiscing over his final moments. I, I would hope. I don't know. But I would hope that he's just still hanging out there, not because, oh, what went wrong or whatever, but because he's like, I really liked this place in life, so I'll stay. I'm mm-hmm. going to choose to believe he's staying there because it's a happy thing, not because of the, the, the bad parts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the current owner, a man named Greg Swanson, remembers one particular incident with Henry back in 2007. Quote, I had a doorman. And I remember specifically one night at about 3 a.m. He was hanging out, having a soda or something upstairs. He had to go downstairs because he forgot something. And when he came back upstairs, he was shaking. He was a big, big, tall man. Absolutely shook. He said there was a guy sitting at the bar in the basement wearing a three-piece suit and had a hat on. The doorman said, hey, we're closed. You got to go. And the guy looked past the staircase and didn't say a word. By the time the doorman had turned to look at the staircase and then back at the bar, the guy was gone. Unquote. I mean, standard ghostly activity, but that would definitely freak me out. Yeah, yeah. And the thing about Henry also is he was a bit of a creep. Oh. Yeah, we don't like Henry. <laughs> oh. Uh, as he allegedly is regularly seen and felt in the woman's bathroom. God damn it. Where he reportedly likes to pinch women. 
I assume on the bum, but they didn't specify. Either way. It's not great. It's not a good plan. No. However, he tends to just disappear when they try to confront him. So, like, get pinched on the bum. They're like, excuse me. And then he just... (laughs) And apparently his creepiness is not contained to just this building. So, Craig Swanson, the owner, said that he's also gotten complaints from the neighbors. Quote, the people who (laughs) rented next door came and said... Your ghost Henry is in our basement, and there has been a shadow of a man following my daughter. (laughs) Unquote. And gross. You know what, Henry? Know your boundaries. Stay within those boundaries. Do not go into the neighbor's house. They don't want you there. Also, just like straight up, all around consent. Yeah. Learn the concept of consent. (sighs) I prefer a ghost... Who appreciates consent. Oh, for sure. I I prefer everything to give me, to allow consent. But in this point, we were talking. Ghosts are not. Oh, at this point, we're talking about ghosts. So that's why I was saying. All right. All right. Well, the the violent history, though, at the Oxford Saloon wasn't limited to just the basement. One sex worker who entertained in the second floor boarding rooms was not there by choice. Oh. Her name was Amelia. And no one seems to know why or how Madam Kathleen had forced her into sex work, but it is well established that it wasn't a life that she entered into willingly. Mm -hmm. Sadder still is the fact that one day Amelia had been found dead in the closet of upstairs room number six. She was found with a broken neck, and while no one seems to know if it was an unaliving or a murder... According to a 2021 article by Daniel Albert in the Everett Post, during one investigation at the Oxford, during what sounded like an EVP session, Mm -hmm. two men's voices were caught talking about the incident. Quote, two men's voices came prominently through the tape recorder talking about the woman who was pushed down the stairs. Unquote. An Oxford employee named Rebecca said, they said she was pushed down the stairs. It wasn't a suicide. It was murder. Oof. After this, it was concluded that Amelia had been murdered and placed in the closet to make it look like an unaliving. Quote, the story goes that Amelia was set to marry a man who did not want to be with her. Amelia was pregnant, was killed in a murder by hire by a man named Edward, a local jazz musician. Rebecca said that the two men on the audio recorder kept mentioning that they should hide because Edward was there. Unquote. Oof. Amelia's ghost is said to remain at the Oxford, and many guests will claim to see the hands of a woman reaching out from the wall to grab them. Nope. 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 Folks, <laughs> folks believe that these belong to Amelia. And while it's unsettling, <laughs> to say the least, to have these arms reaching out from the wall to grab you, they claim that they also feel a soothing comfort coming from her spirit. Well, I'm glad she's soothing. And so maybe it's like, ah, and then they she gets you, and then she's just like, I just want you to help me. It's It freaks me out because it is straight up out of a horror movie. I know a lot of stuff oh, we talk about. Sure. I know a lot of stuff we talk about is straight up out of a horror movie, but like Ooh. hands coming out of walls. Oh, I, mm, I don't like that I don't at all. I don't like that at all either. And then there is Madam Kathleen herself. 
Now, while she did not actually work at the Oxford Saloon, but rather had an office off-site at the local Eagles Lodge, where she would book the appointments for her high-class clientele, it does sound like maybe she lived in one of the upstairs rooms. Or at least that's where she died. Okay. And there are a couple of different stories as to how she might have died. Some people say that she was decapitated in an upstairs bathroom by a resentful lover, while others claim that she unalived herself and then was decapitated afterwards for some reason. Um, which I don't, I don't know. It like kinda, they were like they were like, like somebody stumbled upon the body and it was like, well, now's a great time. They were like, yeah, fuck Kathleen. Let's just cut her head off. It's not murder because she's already dead. I'm I'm gonna go with the I'm gonna go with like the last woman. We're gonna go with murder again. Yeah, it kind of seems like either the investigators in this town were not very good, or they were like covering up for people that they knew. They were like, we don't want the paperwork. Mm-hmm. So it was probably an unaliving. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, but neither Amelia or Madame Kathleen's death seemed like they were remotely self-inflicted. <laughs> it definitely seems like someone murdered them. But alas, 100 years later, they're still like, I don't know, I think she might have killed herself. <laughs> I don't know how the decapitation happened, but she might have done it herself. Anyways, her body was found lifeless and headless, in the white clawfoot tub in the bathroom at the top of the staircase. And to this day, the tub is still in the same place upstairs. I want to take a bath. In blood? No, in water, but in, in that in bathtub. A yeah. Oh, my God. You remember that clawfoot tub in that apartment that yeah, we lived in? Yeah, it was great. It was amazing. Oh, my God. I miss it. I do, too. And Kathleen is said to roam the halls of the second floor wearing a purple dress with purple bows. Hey, purple's a good color. I know. It's like royalty. All right. So during the investigation that I mentioned earlier where the team had heard the two men talking about Amelia being pushed down the stairs, a couple of other occurrences were also caught on camera. According to the article, quote, he, the main investigator, would ask a question and turn on the audio recorder to see if he could catch a response. While he was there, him and a group of people were filming a reenactment upstairs on multiple video cameras, while Rebecca was on the main floor of the restaurant. She explained how the people upstairs all heard a loud crash from the kitchen and came running down the stairs to see if she was all right. They came running down the stairs and asked me if I was okay, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> why? Yeah, what? Rebecca said, you were screaming, help me, help me. And I said, no, I Ooh, wasn't. More ghosts imitating. Mm -hmm. But they said it was a woman that was screaming. So we went back to the video camera and sure enough, you could hear a woman screaming, help me. Ugh. Now, whether this was the voice of Amelia or Kathleen in their final moments, or maybe another former sex worker, it's unclear. Uh, though it is obvious that a lot of non-consensual things happened on the second floor. Mm -hmm. Although these three tend to be the most prominent ghosts seen and felt at the Oxford Saloon, they are not the only ones. According to SeattleTerrors.com, several other ghosts have been spotted around the Oxford Saloon, most notably the ghost of an older gentleman wearing a bowler hat. 
He's been spotted hanging around the second floor, and he is thought to be one of the former owners of the saloon, a man named Nels Peterson. He was the owner and manager of the bar from 1923 to 1938, and rumor has it that Nels sold the bar to distance himself from the three murders, the ones I just talked Mm -hmm. about, all of which happened during his tenure as the owner. So Nels had some terrible luck. Or he caused it. True. Maybe he was the murderer. I'm saying. Man, you know what? I wish that there were more details available about this one. Right. Because that could have been a pretty cool true crime January I know. I found a couple of stories I was going to do, but I was like, hmm, these might be true crime January (laughs) locations. So Nels was known to smoke cigars, which doesn't seem like a very personal habit. It sounds... Like, a lot of people did that. But anyway, he was known to smoke cigars, and occasionally guests at the Oxford claimed to smell a strong odor of cigar smoke in the air. And he is also said to appear in photos taken at the bar, with the pictures coming out all warped and blurry around the edges. Okay. Folks also claim to see shadow figures moving around the building, which are said to be the ghosts of numerous bar patrons who were killed in the violent confrontations in the Oxford Saloon. Because, again... Apparently 10 people died here. I was going to say, yeah, you said it was like 10. And a woman not thought to be Amelia or Kathleen has been seen upstairs. And she is described as a malevolent presence and wearing a black dress. She allegedly wanders behind people. I guess like she follows them around the second floor. Yeah, I don't like that either. So during Daniel Albert of the Everts Post visit to the Oxford, he experienced two specific incidents himself which he wrote about in the article, obviously. The first he said occurred while interviewing the owner, Craig Swanson. So they were sitting next to the staircase that led to the basement when the lights in the stairway turned off. Daniel asked Craig if someone was downstairs, to which he said, no. And the only light switch that controls the hallway light was next to the table that they were sitting at. Okay. And it was still in the upward position. Okay, okay, okay. So Craig Swanson then hit the switch down and back up again, and the lights turned on. They went downstairs to make sure no one was there. There wasn't anyone there. Now, that could be old wiring. True, but my brain was like, and that's like why I kept saying okay, because my brain was trying to process what could have been happening. Right. But that still doesn't make much sense. No. No, no. No. So the second happened while he was interviewing Rebecca. And they were up in the old bordello. Quote, while interviewing her, we both heard a noise that sounded like one of the chairs being pushed out from one of the tables. When the noise happened, she laughed and said, welcome to the Axford. Later that night when I got (laughs) home and was listening to the audio from that moment, I could hear two distinct sounds. First, the sound of the chair. Second, a distinct woman's voice, like that of a pleasurable moan. The next day I took the recording to our audio booth at the radio station was able to clear up the audio and it was clear as day. It was a woman's moan. I think that would make me very uncomfortable. I don't think I would ever be comfortable with hearing ghost sex noises. I don't. And I'm a fairly like sexual person. I'm, I'm open about talking about it anyway. You know, and I still think like I don't want to hear a ghost make that that noise. 
You got to kind of think, though, because it was a bordello and they were sex workers. And she was probably faking it. Oh, yeah. True. But still, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know that that's something I want to (laughs) hear. And then I'm going to close out my story with a couple of other things caught on EVP at the Oxford Saloon, according to their own website. So an investigation that happened back in 2005 caught the sound of a child either laughing or crying. There's nothing else about a child, just laughing or crying. They couldn't figure it out. A seemingly mocking voice replied. So, okay. So the team back in 2005, they were given keys to all of the rooms upstairs Mm -hmm. and they kept trying to unlock a door. And then I think they took their hands off the key and then it got like pushed out of the lock and it happened a couple of times. Oh, no. Yeah, I don't like that. But there was this seemingly mocking voice that they caught on the EVP that said, I dropped the keys to my room. (laughs) (laughs) Just. This just, ghost is just, just like no holds, no holds barred. Like, <laughs> good job, guys. <laughs> but it definitely seemed like whatever it was, based upon what it says, it like they put the key in and then it like popped back out again a couple of times. Drop the keys to my room. <laughs> uh, one of the investigators was using the bathroom when a uh, a man's voice whispered in their ear, Mm-mm. "Get out." Mm-mm. Um, You're just like, I can't poop any faster. (laughs) Another man who was trying to, like, have folks communicate with him when he was in room four, he got the response, uh, I am the one. And then as the group was leaving, something else said, you'll die. So still a threatening presence. Yeah. Absolutely. Ugh. Craig Swanson, owner of the Oxford Saloon, said, There is not an employee that has worked here that does not have some type of unexplained phenomenon ranging from, you know, hearing footsteps, seeing glasses or furniture move, to straight up seeing entities or feeling some kind of physical touch. And that is the story of the Oxford Saloon. I love it. I love it. In Snohomish. Snohomish? that Washington (laughs) all right on a skeptic scale I'm giving this one a solid four fuck yeah like a confident solid no wavering four I love that I'm right there with you gal gal I I mean just very classic Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. from the apparitions the EVPs to what happens when you have a saloon in a western town like Although, you know, the decapitation was a little surprising. Yes, very true. Very true. But I feel like we've had a surprising amount of stories that involve somebody getting decapitated in a bathtub at a hotel or boarding house or something like that. Yeah, isn't it disturbing how often that happens? And it's not always, but oftentimes a sex worker. Usually. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, men are really mean to women in general, and men do not appreciate sex workers. Nope. Which is real work. Don't be dicks. Don't be dicks. Simple as that. I'm saying. Um, so before, I'm going to say my thing, 
But then afterwards, I got a, a quick thing I want to throw out there too. Okay. Um, we have no listener stories this week, but if you have a listener story, we would love to hear it. You can send us your paranormal experience, you know, ghosts, UFO, werewolf, you name it. We're down to hear it. To leftofskeptic at gmail.com. You can also go to our website, www.leftofskeptic.com, and click the listener stories tab at the top of the page. Or you can get there by clicking the link tree in our bio. You can choose to remain anonymous or include your name, whichever you prefer. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. Thank you. Yes, let's normalize those pronouns. You can also find us on social media. We are on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. My arms are cracking as I'm gesturing. <laughs> I'm old. Uh, at Left of Skeptic or Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. And if you happen to be following us on the social medias, you may have noticed a post. But in case you haven't noticed the post and you live in the Twin Ports area, make sure you head on down to Pizza Luce. Oh, yeah. This Saturday for Saturday. Britney's Ellipsis mm. 10 year anniversary show. Mm. Mm. It's mm. going to be good mm. music, mm. good people. It's going to be uh, an awesome time all around. I promise you don't want to miss it. Thank you. I agree. Come hang out with us. It'll be fun. <laughs> well, thank you all for joining us this spooky Wednesday. We love you and appreciate you. It's true, we do. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Okay, okay. bye. Oh, jeez. Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me, Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc, and our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye!